Welcome to Small Business Big Impact. These are lessons from the trenches of running a business with a multiple bottom line. Purpose, people, planet, and profit. Get the inside scoop on what it takes to succeed at using business as a force for good. I am super excited to share this episode with you because you're about to hear from Mickey Agarwal. If you've been paying attention to the social impact business scene in the U.S., you'd know that Mickey is a social entrepreneur known for breaking taboos and disrupting the status quo for over a decade. She was named one of Fast Company's Most Creative People, Young Global Leader by World Economic Forum, Social Entrepreneur of the Year by World Technology Summit, one of Inc. Magazine's Most Impressive Women Entrepreneurs. She's the founder of several acclaimed social enterprises, notably Thinks, Period Proof Underwear, Tushy, Modern Bidet Brand, and Wild, New York City's first gluten-free pizza concept. Tushy is her most recent project. It's a company that's revolutionizing the North American toilet category with a modern, affordable designer bidet attachment that both upgrades human health and hygiene, as well as reducing wasteful toilet paper consumption. She and her team are also helping fight the global sanitation crisis by bringing clean latrines to underserved communities in India through their partnership with Samagra, as well as funding resoiling and reforestry projects all throughout South America. Mickey has written two books, Do Cool Shit and Disrupt Her, both of which made the number one Amazon bestseller list. In this episode, Mickey shares lessons she's learned while pushing back on shame. Mickey, I've really been looking forward to our, our conversation. I'm sure there's lots of different topics that you can you can share with us, but uh, in particular, I'm really interested in the the story you have around pushing up against boundaries, particularly around you know shifting culture. Do you have a story that's kind of bring us into that into a moment that's really alive for you around that topic? Sure. Yeah. Um... I can share a story from my last company, Thinks, or my current company, Tushy. They're both kind of related because I use similar playbook for both to really kind of tell tell these stories. So the first I'll tell the Think story, which was you know, I started this, you know, I co-founded this period proof underwear company that um, you know, really shifted the conversation around a woman's period and um, you know, create a pair of underwear that you could just put on and bleed into and not worry about your period. It was sort of a really weird concept in the, in the beginning, but became truly revolutionary. And I think there was a lot of kind of pushback around saying the word period out loud, you know, being able to really talk about this subject, the thing that creates human life, every woman has a period and yet it was considered very taboo, very shameful to talk about. And it didn't make any sense. And the, the big kind of, you know, as we're building a company and the company was getting bigger and bigger, um, we finally had enough, you know, money to be able to put on our, to create our first subway campaign in New York City, which was a huge, huge milestone moment for, for you know, a startup where, um, you know, usually you see huge brands in the subway stops and, you know, it's, it's like almost like, you know, unattainable to get in there and have your um, have all of your signage and all of your just sort of like your brand your voice heard yeah in your subway yeah in a subway and so um we read the guidelines for the new york city public transit system like, really thoroughly my team did and we created a set of ads that was perfect for the subway system um and they got rejected by the 
um, subway by the MTA, which is the New York City subway system. And they said, you can't say the word period in the subway. And um, it was such a, a, a huge moment for us to realize that, wow, in the most progressive city in the world, New York City, you can't say the word period because they said, what if a nine-year-old boy sees these ads? And we were like, that would be incredible for them to have a dialogue with their parents about what is a period? How does it work? I'm here. Oh, wow. That blood kept me alive in the womb. Like I had no idea, you know, how it works. And I have a lot more reverence for women's period now that I know about it. I've heard the word out loud. And when you see something out loud, it just destigmatizes it. Right. And so it became really, really clear that there was a huge, huge, um, you know, societal block around a woman's period. And so we said to the New York City public transit system, okay, if you don't put our ads in the subway, we're going to go, we're going to go to press and say the New York City public transit system does not let us say the word period in the subways. It's, it's wild. Um, and they said, they kind of called our bluff. They were like, go for it, go talk to press. And so we were like, oh God, we don't know any press. But we then, we then, uh, I found through friends, you know, um, a Forbes writer and then another writer um, for another big publication. And um, it ended up getting published. And then the story ended up getting going viral internationally, um, how the, the word period cannot be uttered in the most progressive city in the world. And that was such a pivotal moment where got a lot of shade, a lot of shamey stuff, and then a lot of empowerment, a lot of women saying, yes, this is so important for us to destigmatize the most natural thing for a woman. And it was a, it was a, it was a, the most pivotal moment for our company at Thinks that then took us on a whole new trajectory and then cut to my current company, Tushy, similar thing. We, you know, built the company to a point where we were able to be in the New York City subway system again. And the MTA then said that Tushy, our bidet company, it's a bidet that literally attaches to your existing toilet in 10 minutes. There's no plumbing or electrical required. It takes 10 minutes to install. Um, it doesn't, it's just a bidet that washes your butt clean after you poop. And it's basically like an under $100 product. It's a $99 product. And it's the most game changing thing you can do for your butt is to clean it. Like you clean everything else in your life, you wash instead of wipe. And so um, we were uh, we were excited to finally share that message to the New to New York through this public transit system. And they said, they said bidets, like this is a sex product. And we said, no, it's like toilet paper. <laughs> it's literally, but, but it's like better because it cleans you. It's a cleaning product really. Like, and they banned us again from the subways because they said, Tushy's a sex product. And so it was just this crazy thing. So we said again, okay, if you don't let us put these ads in subways, we're going to go to press. <laughs> and they were like, go to press. And we we're like, okay. <laughs> and so we basically went to media and the New York Daily News covered um, this thing called the MTA flushes down this bidet, this company Tushy's ads in the town, the toilet. And what we didn't know, which is sometimes like, you know, like you can't predict virality, right? Is virality is completely unpredictable. And um, we didn't realize that Saturday Night Live, you know, Saturday Night Live, right? SNL, which is like the, of course, everyone knows it. Um, so SNL 
basically scours the daily, the New York daily papers, New York times, New York magazine, New York, all the New York daily news. And they, you know, to, to find funny content. And they found our, our story of how our pushy was, was not allowed to be in the subways because of the MTA ban and saying that we were a sex product. So Michael Che, the head writer of Saturday night live writes a three minute rant and goes on SNL weekend update and literally talks about why Tushy should be in the subways and why bidets are the best thing that's ever like it's like the cleanest thing you do for your bottom and it's it was like a three minute infomercial on saturday night live that i i couldn't have spent millions of dollars to make we were a startup like there's there was just no chance that would have ever happened if we didn't push back against society so there's this like you know this this whole thing of like oh people could get you know we got banned they said no you slink away or you can turn lemons into lemonade and so i think we've learned over time that when society says one thing you can kind of turn that into lemonade and say hey this is doesn't make any sense and then just see what happens and with both things and tushy this similar story had astronomical game-changing effects on our business so um you know i think it's so important to push back against society because it turns out that lots of people agree with the fact that this is the way society is, is not right, but it's really difficult for people to step up and stand up. But as soon as somebody does stand up, there's a rallying around it, which I found was really, really powerful for both companies. You know, Tushy, currently we save over 15 million trees every year from getting flushed out on the toilet. You think about the Canadian boreal forest. It's one of the greatest carbon sinks in the world. It's getting cut down right now, decimated to make toilet paper, which doesn't properly clean you, you know? And so we're just like, the analogy I love giving is imagine if a bird pooped on your arm and, and like, you know, you take a piece of dry paper and smear it off and you're like, I'm clean, like lick my arm. Like that would just never happen. Right. So it's total indoctrination and societal indoctrination that we're fighting against and waking people up from and saying, Hey, there's a better way through, you know, through, through better products, through better ideas, through talking about it, through eliminating shame. And oftentimes that comes with sticks and stones and people trying to discredit you, make you wrong, to say shit about you. I've experienced that many different ways, many different times being called a controversial founder because we're trying to change culture and push society forward and, and talking about periods and pee and poop, you know, in a way that's empowering. And um, yeah, I've dealt with a lot of pushback um, from society as a result of that. Well, I'm, that's two things that come to mind is one is like, what allows you, like, what kind of Jedi tricks do you need to use? Cause you can push back against these things and just get pushed down, get mowed over. But, um, you and your, your team or teams have found ways to like, like Aikido, the whole thing, blend and, <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, grind, ground it. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on like what that, what the strategy was that that was effective. I mean, aside from the obvious and what you just described. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just the creative, the mentality of creativity, right? Like, okay, one door closes, another one opens. Like that's the the, the first no is just a a pathway to to getting the yes, right? So it's like, how do you 
get a no and then go back and find a way to maybe try again and to get a no again. Okay, try again, get a no again. Okay, like we're going to go the third door route, which is we're going to go to press and have press write about it and then basically like make them feel bad. And then so for things, eventually, not only did we go viral, but then our ads ended up in the New York City subways. Same thing with Tushy, you know, our ads went viral, but also we we could have put them in the subways at the at, at the end of the day, we ended up not doing it. Oh, no, we did. We ended up doing, doing one run in the subway, not, not the full campaign, but we ended up doing it. So not only did we get all the press for not getting the subways, but eventually they got enough tweets and like kind of angry messages from you know people that they eventually caved and said, OK, fine, we'll let we'll let you, your, your ads be showed on the subway. And so I think it's just it's just it's it's relentlessness. Right. I think there's this like, okay. um, you know, I think a lot of times like people will have a kind of a, a, a weak like can have weaker kind of backbones. But if you if you've played sports and you've fallen down enough times, and you get back up and get your head back in the game or you've done enough things where you've fallen down enough times and you've gotten up enough times like it, you just kind of learn the resilience and learn the relentlessness of just like keep going and trying again different ways. And um, and eventually, you know, with your sincerity and authenticity, society will be like, huh, let me look into that and creativity. You know, I've kind of created a three pronged thesis around how to shift culture. Um, the first is having a best in class product that actually solves a real problem. Our period and solve the problem. Our my bidet, Tushy bidet is like the most game changing thing you can do for your bathroom in, in like 10 minutes. It's a totally different experience for you from a clean, from confidence, from feeling like truly beautiful and and just not having to deal with chronic ailments anymore. People who have chronic UTIs, hemorrhoids, all these things could just go away by having a bidet. Um, so the first thing is having a best in class product. The second prong to changing culture is um, considered artful design across every touch point of your brand. So when you think about both things and Tushy, if you really go to hellotushy.com right now and you go to my website, you're like, wow, this is a beautifully designed website. And I, you know, we just launched it actually a month, you know, a month ago. And we really, really think about our brand through the lens of artfulness. Is it artful? Because what happens when you look at art is you want to lean in and you're like, wow, that's beautiful. Oh my God, they're talking about poop. But the first thing you said was that's beautiful. And so because of that, it just opened you up to having the conversation a little bit better because your first reaction was a positive one. So that's the second product, best in class product, artful, considered design across every touch point of your brand. If you look at our Tushy packaging, you look at our website, you look at our ads, everything, look at our emails, everything is beautiful. Our, our, our videos, it's like artful. And then the third prong is accessible, relatable language. And so when you think about like, um, when you think about like telling your friends something new about like what you're working on or something you learned, you tell your friend like, or you text your friend in like some very colloquial, very simple way that your friend will get right away. It's kind of funny, deprecating, whatever, versus like, let me text my friend exactly a polished thing of how I want them to receive the message that I'm trying to give them. In the same way, the way we write our copy, our content, it's like we're texting our best friend. How would you want to receive the message about what we're trying to do 
in a way that feels relatable. It's like, oh, you're talking to me. Like, I feel like you're not trying to sell me something. You're not trying to like, you're not, it's not academic, clinical, medical, technical. It's just very like colloquial. You're meeting me where I am. And I think oftentimes companies are starting new product or new, new things that are shifting culture or trying to do something that's totally different. They're way too heady or way too clinical or academic or technical or medical about it, that it just pushes over people's heads versus like really, really writing like you're texting your best friend. And so I think all three together, having a best in class product, having considered artful design, which makes you lean in. And the same thing with accessible, relatable language. People are like, oh, you're talking to me like me. Oh, you're talking about periods and poop. But I again, leaned in again because you're talking to me. And so now you've now doubly leaned in with the artfulness and the and the right language and then a great product. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to try this. And all of a sudden it's changed your life. And you're like, wow, like, let me shout about it from the rooftops and tell all of my friends. And so that's how we really built the companies. And I um, in meeting some of um some of the background on on your projects also recall that you're speaking about like iteration like perfection through iteration or something along that line iteration is perfection yeah it's okay like, there we go yeah so i mean that and that sounds that, that's a variation on relentless i would think right um, well no i, I mean it, it ish as in like there's never a point where you're finished right so there yeah there's a that there's like the, the relentlessness of keeping going but the, the, that concept of iteration is perfection or like why I, I really take that to heart as my, one of my favorite sayings ever is because um, it is the iterative process that's perfect. It's constantly making improvements in your life, in yourself, in your business, in your products. Like our Tushy Bidet product has, has been better and better and better and better. We, we have the best bidet in the world because we don't stop making it better and better. Listening to our customers, what are some pain points? What do you need? Oh, there's a little dirt that gets stuck in the crevices. We now create a schmutz shield. Oh, you need better angles. We now create an angle thing, adjuster. Oh, like the spray comes out a little bit too hard because your, your water system and your homes are very dependent on your pressure. And so we created pressure controls. When you turn it, it's the right, perfect, soft, gentle, and also like cleans you properly. Oh, like you wanna make, you have two people in your household, got it like we you and you want to make sure that it's clean you know cleaned every time so now every time you turn the bidet on it double cleans itself twice before every use and so it's like we've thought about every single thing to make the the experience better and better and better and better for our customers and for our people because we're listening so it's the iterative process it's not like oh i created the first product there you go world here it is you know and i think like that's that stagnation is death. So I say iteration is perfection, stagnation is death. You know, being still is different than being stagnant. Being still is being quiet and really allowing sort of, you know, the meditative expansion to happen. But being stagnant is when you're kind of festering in the same old, same old. And oftentimes when you think about the difference between a flowing river, I talk about this in my book, Disrupt Her, the difference between a flowing river and a stagnant pond you know, the stagnant ponds are like, don't go swimming in a pond, but swim in a river where there's flow. The stagnant pond has a lot of toxicity and buildup because there's no movement. There's no flow. There's no, there's no constant going. And so the idea that stagnation just creates festering, creates looping, creates, and, and even in relationships or in business, it just creates toxicity versus like, 
we were constantly moving, like we're, we're iterating, we're learning, we're growing, we're learning, we're growing, we're constantly moving. And that's a much healthier way to live. Absolutely. The, the second piece that I'm really curious about is the muscle that you've developed for pushing back. And, you know, in, uh, I haven't finished reading Disruptor, but I've gotten a chunk of the way through. Uh, and I got the sense that your disrupting muscle, your pushback muscle started early on. And so I'm wondering about your sense of what has supported you in building that uh, muscle to push back and do what you feel is right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I'm half Japanese, half Indian. I grew up in French Canada and Montreal in, in, in a greater America. And I think like, you know, as I thought about this and, you know, really pondering, you know, just like the mentality of it, I think it really comes from being able to be at the dinner table every night and being able to debate with a Japanese mother, an Indian father in French Canada in a way that's like, there's no, this is the way it is, like the way society is, because there's a way the Indians do it. There's a way the Japanese do it. There's the ways that the French Canadians do it. There's the way the English Canadians do it. There's the way Americans do it. And I've been exposed to those cultures in deep, deep ways from early on so that we could always debate what's true, what feels good, like what, what makes sense. And we can challenge everything. We grew up challenging all the different conversations, the conversations that we had. And, um, and I think that muscle was built pretty early on because, you know, it's like if you're born, if you're only Japanese and the Japanese, then you only see the world a certain way or same thing with, you know, like if you're born with one culture, then you're, you're pretty like set. But because, you know, I was very lucky to be born in a very multicultural, diverse environment, it allowed me to, you know, check my assumptions and, and really look at perspectives that, you know, it's, there's no one way, you know, there's many ways, like, but what feels the best to me? Like, what's that, what feels the most right for me in, in, in any one of these topics? And so the book Disruptor is really around looking at where each one of these sort of systems came from, whether it's your career or money or time or friendship or relationships or marriage or, you know, career, all the different areas in our life, like the concept of patriarchy, feminism, just like understanding where these concepts came from, who says that these are the way it is, and then really understanding the con historical context of where those way things are came from and then being able to find agency to disrupt them one by one and i think for me like starting things in tushy and even my restaurants before that um was a huge receive so much pushback i started new york city's first gluten-free pizza concept where you know in the city in new york city where it was like joe's pizza was like the thing and people did not want gluten like we're like gluten-free pizza like disgusting right so it was the same kind of thing where or organic local seasonal like farm to table those are you know my, my restaurant was the first alternative pizza concept in new york that had gluten-free flours hormone-free cheeses local seasonal toppings like talked about local organic farm to table all that stuff while in 2005 when you know um when uh subway was the healthy food you know and so there was still like such a huge chasm for like what was actually healthy and what what wasn't and so when i really approached all of my businesses from the lens of hey like why is it done this way like why are we doing it 
why do we care about or think about food in this way? Or why do we think about our periods in this way? And why do we go to the bathroom and kill trees and use dry paper and smear poop around and sit on fecal matter all day long? Like, why are we doing that? You know? And so the idea is like, who says, let's ask those questions and let's disrupt them. Let's find agency and autonomy and sovereignty within ourselves to decide if that makes sense for us or not. And even with all of this history of experience that opens you to seeing things this way and making and having these questions, there's still a cost. It's still something to deal with the pushback at times, right? And so I'm curious about what tools you found to help you manage blowback. Yeah, yeah, I've had some pretty intense setbacks where you know you realize that people want to say stuff about you that are completely untrue to see you fall because society society wants to maintain its form. And, you know, you see that there's so many takedowns that are happening, you know, these days. And I've certainly, you know, had a taste of a deep experience of that. And it was shocking to my system, you know, as pregnant at the time. And, you know, initially it was just sort of like, holy shit, is this real life? Like, how is this actually happening? And then I realized I had this story, this one moment that is, you know, that's has stayed with me for forever since this experience happened was I was like laying in my bed, super pregnant with my baby when all of this stuff was coming out, you know, that was so like wildly untrue and, and just completely taken out of context. And, um, and I remember laying there and just crying in my pillow, just being like, why am I, what is, how is this happening? Like, what did I do to really deserve this? And just asking that question, like, teach, give me, give me, like, tell me what, you know, like what I need to learn from this experience. Cause it's crazy. And I then had this like deep out of body experience where I was like, I became like a fly observing myself while I was also present crying in my pillow. So I actually ex experienced myself doubly in this weird way. And I remember like, as I was watching myself crying in my pillow, I just had this like epiphany where it was like, oh my God, like I get to feel the depths of sadness, betrayal, anger, feeling misunderstood, shame, like all those the hard feelings. It's like, how is this happening to me? Like I, I, you know, there's all the feelings that came up that was like, wow, like in this one short and precious life, like I get to feel the depths of those feelings that we all try so hard to avoid. And I got to taste like the nectar of betrayal and sadness and anger and pain and like all those feelings. And, and I felt like in that moment, my emotional capacity expand. Like it was this like expansive moment for me where now, like cut to seven years later, I've had like dozens of friends reach out to me when they're as they're going through their own experiences, similar to mine, not different, different, you know, scales of things, but I can meet them where they are. I can feel their pain. I can meet them in their sadness. I can meet them in their anger. And before I couldn't, I'm like, just move on. You're fine. Chop, chop. And I didn't really have the emotional wherewithal to feel the way I feel now. And I'm so deeply grateful for that. And, you know, I've also over the course of, you know, four years after that traumatizing experience that I had, I went through trauma therapy and I would stuff that my 
the inside would be like, I'm too good for that. Like this is like for people who are broken or whatever. And it's like, no, that stuff heals and it works. And it really like, I really went through all the different somatic therapy healings. Like, so really like feeling into my body, like where the pain lives and how to really let it go. And, um, and, and, and of course, you know, like with time, I really tried all the modalities, which was amazing. And now I feel like I have so many tools in my toolkit to pull out as challenging things happen. So like actually cut to, you know, going through the transition of my 11 year marriage that um, happened this past, you know, year. Um, it was such a beautiful opportunity to pull out those tools. And he and I are, you know, best of friends. We're raising our incredible son together. We live eight minutes from each other. We're, we spent a month together in Costa Rica with this new girlfriend. Like it feels so healthy and clean. And I think one of the reasons why is because I learned how to speak my truth. He learned how to speak his truth. Like this is not where this feels. I love you. Like we've had an incredible run. Like we had an incredible chapter together and it had a beginning, a middle and an end. We have a gorgeous son together. There's nothing like, like terrible. And we had a great marriage. This is not a failure. It's just time for the next chapter and it's okay. And there was a, there, you know, instead of it being this like uh, 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 thing, you know, there are moments of, of course, like challenge, but overarchingly, I think we really, really showed ourselves that having tools to pull on to really sit down and work through, um, you know, the harder things um, in, in in a loving way with a lot of understanding and compassion really supported the transition beautifully. So, you know, I, I owe a lot to like the hard experience. People avoid at all costs the hard experience but those are the hard feelings or the hard sensations but like those are the feelings that really actually make the the the, the juiciest tastiest most magical highs even higher right like the more your low expands the high expands too and so there's this like beautiful ex expansion that happens across the board and so you know, I'm not afraid to feel the hard things anymore. Like again, going through my divorce was like a really like a telling opportunity. Like, wow, like I wrote a whole album around it, music album around it as well. So, and it's actually now on Spotify. So <laughs> under Soulgate, yeah, yeah. So, sure. and it's called It All Exists and the idea that love exists in many forms and it's all okay. My experience of stepping into the worlds where you're questioning a lot of things, questioning everything, it can be really expansive and there can be times where like, well, there are some things that are, are, are worthy of keeping or are boundaries that are worthy of, of leaving. And I'm wondering like, do you have any particular guideposts that you use to try to distinguish what, what boundaries need to be left alone in a, in a given moment or period? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I talk a lot about like in my book disruptor about, the concept of like feminism and patriarchy and how that like plays a role in the, in sort of the dynamic between males, females, masculine, feminine, and how if we push too far and like fight the patriarchy too far where, you know, you watch the movie Barbie and like the men are like, what am I doing here? You know, it's like not, it's not ideal. Like, you know, they have the futures female t-shirts, which is doing exactly that, which we're fighting against, which is gender oppression. It's like, that feels so wrong to me. I have a son and like, I love men and I love women. And I love everyone. And, and so the idea that like the future is female is just doesn't make sense to me. And so, so for me, like 
I'm Indian and Japanese. So there's a, a big part of me that's also traditional in, in the feminine masculine dynamic. Like I love the idea of like chivalry. I love, you know, if a man pays for my dinner and I feel like a princess or a queen, like I don't have to be like, I got my door. It's like, you know, it's like, Oh, you're opening my door. Like, you know, I, I really, I really like the, you know, the man hunts and the woman like, you know, like flows and community. Like I really love that, that polarity between the masculine and feminine. I don't want to mess with that. Like I find that to be beautiful. I think as long as there's mutual respect for one another, I think there's this like beautiful dynamic and polarity that feels really, really um, healthy for being the mammals that we are. Right. And so there are certain things that, you know, like societal, like, like what's shameful. I want to, you know, push back against like a period being shameful, talking about our bodies, you know, there should be nothing shameful about that. But when it comes to like maintaining certain things that I, I like, like I'm, I'm, I'm quite a traditionalist when it comes to the masculine feminine dynamic, I'll say. Okay. That's great. And I'm wondering if does you have any closing piece of advice for um, other aspiring change makers who are feeling challenged about the boundaries that they're pushing? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, 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 the number one piece of advice I gave myself, which, you know, which I will, I, I give to everyone um, listening is, as an entrepreneur, um, is to cultivate your friend group, to cultivate your community, cultivate your community. And I know that word community feels very like used these days in a lot of different ways, but like from a lens of like really building your tribe, your friend group, your and and showing up even when it's when you're tired and even when you're building your thing and still show up for your friends because that that is what keeps keeps me keeps me going and keeps each other going. And, um, you know, for example, I just came back from New York. I caught a 4 a.m. flight. I was up till 1 a.m. I had three hours of sleep. And then, you know, uh, like, and and then like, you know, I I still showed up to my friend's birth surprise birthday party just for 30 minutes to be, be there and show up. And I, and, and, and support when I, when I landed in Austin, even if I was exhausted. Um, I'm not saying this for like push past or exhaustion, but like make it easy for yourself. I put myself in an Uber. I made my way there. I like spent 30 minutes really connecting and then I put myself back in an Uber. So I'm not like driving. So like doing things that are just like, how do I best show up with the resources that I have right now? Um, that makes sense for me, but still shows up. And like, he was so grateful that I came and he was just like, wow, like that really meant a lot to me. Like, I barely slept last night. And like over and over again, like we, like my sister and I are known to show up hard for our friends. If you need something, we're there. Like we are the biggest champions for our people. And so when I went through my crazy shit that I went through, the not the amount of love that I received from that. And you don't have to like give love, hoping to get love. Like there is a, a beautiful, just human reciprocity that happens in general. Cause we're just human beings who love to give and receive. And like, that's just like the flow of life. But I will say that like, it was one of the most beautiful, like it was the most painful experience of my life. And then the most beautiful experience of my life, because the amount of love and support and generosity of time that I received from my friends, like I went a year without being alone, like without having some food delivered to me. Or so. I was also just gave birth to my kid. And so people came and played music and like brought food and like just regaled me in song and, you know, fun. And like I had friends who like we had one time we had like 
I don't know, a group of like 15 friends who just showed up at my house at the same time with a boom box, circled me and played this song with Hell Hand Me Clark. And, and I was in the middle and they, I was crying in the middle. They were all like dancing around me, just like cheering me through. And it was like a moment that I will never forget. And I have that video of it actually, um, you know, uh, still on my phone um, because it was like such a moment. I remember what the day before I had this like crazy, like my first like deposition, which I was just like, this is so crazy that I'm going through this, but like, okay, I guess it's part of the life's experience that's offering me. Let me go through it. But I had 20 friends that night come to my house and brought crystals and different like, ornaments and heart things that like take and so I brought all of those with me to the deposition the next day and literally like pulled them out of my bag and pulled all the crystals around me on the table so that I could have a shield of love around me and it was just like the most beautiful strangely beautiful experience of my life like one of the most strangely beautiful experiences of my life the dichotomy of like the what the fuck and the love was so like like was was just another showing of like it all exists simultaneously like life exists simultaneously this feeling exists simultaneously as that feeling this energy exists simultaneously as that energy and it's all like part of the melange of being alive so yeah it was just yeah super important you know final story to share about cultivating community and how important it is to show up for your friends as much as you possibly can without excuse um because it'll 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 come back 10 times when you need it and not again that's not why to do it but um it just creates so much the love just takes you takes you moves you through hard the hardest things in the world thank you so much i really yeah. appreciated all that you shared today yeah oh thanks for your time yeah. thank you <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified when new episodes are released. If you've created a business that's a force for good and you'd like to share your story of challenge and success, go to questio.us slash podcast and click on the share my story button.